Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramus, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. In this series, we are discussing CIC issue number 133, the priesthood of every believer. You can find that at the website CICministry.org. Now, last week we talked a little bit about some of the history and, and distortions of the Lord's Supper or communion, as we often call it. This week we're going to talk about administering communion and what scripture actually says about that and who's able to administer communion. Now, you have a quote from Luther, a black quote. If you're following along on the PDF, we're on page four towards the bottom of the center column. Do you want to read Luther's quote and then we'll discuss that? I just said this leading up to it. Unlike many today who want to make ecumenical peace with Rome, Luther rebuked them in clear terms. And here's the block quote. Okay. Woman said Luther can baptize and administer the word of life by which sin is taken away, eternal death abolished, the prince of the world cast out, heaven bestowed, in short, by which the divine majesty pours itself forth through all the soul. Meanwhile, this miracle-working priest changes the nature of the bread, by, but, but by no other or greater word or power, and it has no effect other than it increases his awe and admiration before his own dignity and power. Is not this, says Luther, to make an elephant out of a fly? <laughs> what wonder workers, in despising the power of the word, they make marvelous their own power, unquote. Wow. And so no one would accuse Luther of not having a way with words. Exactly. Well, and just in between sessions here, we record more than one at a time. We were talking about this um, honor and, and uh, you know, arguing about who is the greatest and all of these different things that kind of come into play as scripture deals with the Lord's Supper. They're doing that very same thing. Look how great we are. Right. And we have to understand sarcasm or irony. Uh, Meanwhile, this miracle-working priest changes the nature of the bread by no other greater word or power. It has no effect than to increase his awe. Look at me. Yeah. I have the power to turn this bread into something it's not. Yeah. Let's actually explain that a little bit for listeners who maybe aren't quite as familiar with the Catholic doctrine of the Eucharist. Yeah, the idea of transubstantiation. Yeah. Yeah, which developed over time, but there's so many things wrong with it, not the least of which is the once for all is just thrown out. Exactly. So somehow or another, by some means, this has nothing to do with what's said here in the scripture, by the way, that the the bread has to actually become the real somehow body. Right. And then the wine is the real blood by some miracle working means, and it has to be done in a certain way. And if it isn't done properly, 
there's some horrible things going to happen. Right. And it's, I mean, they take it very, very seriously. If it's not done properly, it's blasphemous. That's how people see that. And it's really kind of sad because, frankly, people have said, well, why say this? Because there's so many nice, sincere people who are Roman Catholic. I'm not saying that people who believe what they've been told by this huge organization are not good people or not good citizens. But Luther rightly saw that as abusive to the people who honestly want to know the truth and want to believe God and know that their sins are forgiven. Yes. And if you see these things, we're not trying to be mean to anyone. We're trying to show them liberty and freedom. Right. And And by creating this whole system, I've been reading lately some books, hopefully to write about some of these things. And interestingly, it's as if the Roman Catholic version of what they would call the sacraments and the sacramentalism is more like temple Judaism. And you can see that if you read Hebrews, you have to sacrifice over and over again. Right. Okay. And that is not valid once Jesus Christ shed his blood once for all. This meal is a meal of remembrance. Remembrance. Okay. Do this in remembrance of me. So what are we remembering? That Jesus Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order to bring us to God. That's in Peter. And if you look through this, this word hapax means once and, and never again. Okay. Interestingly, the book of Hebrews uses that over and over, once for all. The deficiency of the Mosaic covenant was that sinners offered the sacrifice over and over, and it could never take away sins. Which, and that's exactly what the Roman Catholic Church kind of claims that they're doing with the Lord's Supper. They're re-sacrificing Christ over and over again. Yes, and many people have seen that, and as we've taught these things and gone through the book of Hebrews, people that come often are people who were part of the Catholic Church and realize that Jesus Christ did this once for all. Yes. And the book of Hebrews and in the book of Ephesians has always been important to people who Christendom, including so much uh, of the world, somebody said 2.5 billion people now. Wow. Christendom is a mission field. It's not the church. Right. And when people who were part of Christendom come to Christ, and maybe they were as infants baptized into one version or another, the once for all is hopeful. Yes. And Jesus did what religion couldn't do. And this last Sunday, I, I believe this is a biblical claim. The more we create layers of status, hierarchy, awe in the wonder-working 
powers of some person, whether it's architecture. I'm not saying you can't, you don't have the liberty to have various kinds of architecture. Right. But does your architecture point to the once for all work of Christ or does it make it hard to even hear what the preacher's saying? Right. Sometimes it's just a distraction. The distraction, I've seen that in well-meaning places where the architecture is so magnificent and the lighting is behind the, the preacher. And one time you just look out there and you see all this. I had to sit right front and center at this one conference. And it was a good conference by people that believed in the once for all. But you get up there because if you stood back very far, all you could see is this beautiful scenery out there. <laughs> I would be looking at the scenery. I couldn't help it because I'm from Minnesota and that was out in Southern California somewhere. Yeah. Not to shame anyone who was there, but I went, I finally had to set up closer because I couldn't help looking at the palm trees. Okay. Well-meaning, but we should think about those things. What are we focused on? Right. Okay. Okay. The, the word of God can be taught anywhere. Yeah. The Bohemians weren't helping build St. Peter's Cathedral. Okay. And they needed help. And I believe, dear ones, I don't intend for anyone who knows Christ to be shamed because that would be wrong. Those who know him, wherever they may be, even if they only have a few people that really have heard the gospel and believed it, and they can only gather together with a few people, sometimes in huge areas that are supposedly Christendom, and they can't find a church or a gathering where the word of God is actually taught and believed. Yeah. We're not offering them something to join. We're showing that God gives hope and fellowship and grace to people wherever they are in whatever situation. And though if the word of God is purely taught and there are others who can get there, if they're not locked up or wherever they may be, they will hunger for that and they will grow. And so we can't get rid of Christendom. It's out there. Right. But we can offer the truth of the word of God and not make it harder rather than more giving people more access to the word of God, to prayer, to understanding the truth, to serving one another by his grace and his calling and narrow down the hierarchy. Right. And really we don't see that hierarchy being ordained in scripture. No, as a matter of fact, I've been for a long time, now teaching through Acts, and we're going to eventually get to Acts 20. I'm in Acts 19 right now in Sunday school, then preaching through 1 Corinthians. When you get into Acts 20, you find out that the Episcopate and the Presbyteros and the pastors are all the same people. Right. Okay. There aren't, the bishops aren't really, there aren't really bishops in the Bible. Right. And yep. that's just not understanding the scriptures. If we create this massive hierarchy, now I'm not saying we can't be organized. 
Okay. But the more we demand that people keep our traditions to the exclusion of anything else, not that some of those traditions aren't true and accurate and need to be preached from Scripture, what if indeed the bishop has power, and there is no bishop in the Bible, okay, biblically, yeah, to stop people from preaching Christ and the gospel because the bishop has the authority to do that? Would you want to serve in a situation like that? Absolutely not. And I would not either. And is it a sin to bar those who trust Jesus Christ alone, who paid the price? He bought us with his blood. Okay? He okay. brought us to himself. And can somebody say, no, you cannot have access to the throne of grace unless you go through some in intermediary. Wow. You cannot fellowship and partake of the Lord's Supper because you are not a full-blown, high-class, top-of-the-line Christian. Or you can reverse it. And I preached on this last Sunday. So some people see that and say, oh, yeah, that would be really wrong. Here's what we'll do. We'll create a different status. It says the least will be greatest. In order to be a really great Christian, you have to take an oath of poverty. Oh, no. And an oath of celibacy, meaning you have to swear to be poor. You have to take various oaths. You cannot be married, which is, by the way, a doctor of demons. Okay. And whatever. I sacrifice more than you. I'm uh, whatever. So there, that makes me the better Christian. And wow. so version, whether it's making yourself the least by having somebody whip you or put you in a dungeon or take oaths that God never ordained, or I'm first class because I can do miracles greater than the apostles, or I'm the high archbishop with the pointy hat and the red. What I, I see that it makes me cringe. Yes. And I'm not better than anybody in the body of Christ. A sinner saved by grace. We all need constant help to not just end up in the same thing. But is it possible that at some point an archbishop could actually be convicted by the Holy Spirit and understand that none of this was ordained by Christ? It has nothing to do with Luke 22. It has nothing to do with the book of Ephesians or the book of Hebrews or first Peter or Acts or first Corinthians, but it was man-made beyond scripture, adding to what God said and be smitten in the heart and repent, say, I can't do this. I need Christ and forgiveness of sins. Amen. That happened to Luther. It did. It sure did. I'm not saying he was an archbishop, but they didn't know what to do with him. And there's much written about Luther. But sadly, Scripture alone teaches Christ alone, faith, knowing Christ by faith alone, grace alone, to the glory of God alone, the five solas, whatever order I just said them. Okay. 
those things we still have. Yes. How does it glorify God to reject the promises he's made and recreate some system? It just doesn't. It doesn't. So you read this and people say, well, Luther, he was kind of a nasty guy. He was sarcastic. Yeah. If you read just about any literature from that time period, that's really how people were. It it wasn't so much even um, just Luther being that way. They were very coarse people. Well, there's plenty of sarcasm in the Bible, too, Frank. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Yeah. Uh, And uh, they were, uh, he really mocked those polytheists. They couldn't get Baal to do anything for them. Yeah. So, and Paul was sarcastic in Galatians. But look at this. Meanwhile, this miracle working priest changes the nature of the bread, but by no other or greater word or power, said Luther, and it has no other effect than to increase his awe and admiration before his own dignity and power. That's what Luther said. Is that not still happening? It sure is. And, and uh, to be perfectly honest, it's not just distinctive of the Catholic Church. We see this reiterated in different ways over and over and over again. Yeah, and we need to, I'm trying to see how this could be explained in a way that people can understand. I don't believe they're second, third generation Christians. Right. There's not. And so if you look at any group now, it's happening more quickly because of ability to communicate things instantaneously. So someone will found a group and get the brick and mortar. We used to have to have an actual library with books and paper. Now you can get it digitally. And I went through two great places of education by God's providence was taught well. But the next thing that happens is the person who took over the theology department after I graduated and our pastor, Eric Dalma, got to the same place, who's now someone who's renounced Christ as an atheist. Wow. And I I cited him, Leron Schultz. Well, that didn't take very long, does it? Nope, it sure doesn't. And we can see that all throughout church history, too. And, right. And so what do we do? People say, well, what do we do? That's what they asked Luther. What are we going to do? We can't get a priest to come and do all this. You gather and you believe the scriptures, you study the scriptures, and trust Christ alone. People are baptized. People, we remind each other of the fact that we're leaving behind the old wicked world. We die. Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. We're trusting him. We care for one another. We open the scriptures and don't make grandiose claims, but try to understand. Yes. And God doesn't need a massive, huge cathedral with everything under the sun built into it to make it look like we have anything the world ever had. Right bring glory to his name because it doesn't bring any glory to his name. So we've talked about how 
how communion is remembering what the Lord has done. It's looking back. It's also looking forward to the marriage supper of the lamb. And I think it's really important to see because it is the Lord's supper and he's the one who invites his people to it. So I want to read this passage from Revelation 19, seven through nine. And it says, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So who are those who are invited? The ones who are, are willing to come to God by his grace on his terms. That's right. So he's, Jesus determines who's welcome at his supper. The ones who are those whose sins are washed away once for all by the blood of Christ. Amen. And um, let me just quote this right out of Luke. Okay. okay. He hadn't yet died for sins. Okay. But he was going to soon. This is the Passover. Lord's Supper. By the way, Judas is already ready to betray him, but they didn't know that yet. Okay. And the hour had come. He reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. There's an until. Right. There's a future that's coming. And then the blessing. And then it says, as we mentioned, do this in remembrance of me. So what are we remembering? the ground that we have to ever be part of this. Okay. So as it says in first Corinthians, we're remembering how our sins are taken care of and how we become part of the people of God. And we're looking forward until the marriage supper of the lamb. Right. And so in the meantime, we're part of the family of God. And then it talks about, again, his rejection in verse 22. And then look at verse 23 and 24. I'm in Luke 22. Our, those who are listening can look it up later. Luke 22, 23, and 24. And they began to discuss among themselves which one of them, it might be, was going to do this thing, that is, betray him. Okay. All right? Look at verse 24. And there, all, and there arose also a dispute among them as to which of them was regarded to be the greatest. Okay. You know what? The dispute is still going on to this very day. It sure is. And it's not for us to determine who was the greatest in the kingdom that is not yet established. Right. To Humbly trust Christ who did it all once for all. Amen. So now we've got just a couple minutes. I want to make sure we wrap this up, bringing it back to 
who who can administer communion? Does scripture give give instruction on who can administer communion or how they are to do it? It's not in the Bible. It's not. It's not and it the- doesn't it doesn't say if it has to be wafers or loaves. It doesn't say grape juice or wine. We did not see that's the sad thing. There's no Greek substance theory or high church liturgy, only this or only that or only this way. I was preaching on this Sunday. Unworthily doesn't mean the person isn't worthy to do it. Right. You make yourself do this in an unworthy manner is to despise others whom the Lord has redeemed. Amen. And so not discerning the body doesn't mean not seeing the body is somehow the bread, which isn't true anyhow. Okay. But you're despising the body of Christ, meaning the people he's redeemed. Wow. And so that really is doing those who are determining by means of church membership or, or adherence to confessions or whatever it is that they're putting up as a safeguard to the Lord's table, they're actually doing exactly what Paul was saying not to do in first Corinthians. Yes. That doesn't mean there isn't such a thing as church discipline. Right. But that's over the sitting with a high hand. Yes. We need to know the difference between Judas and Peter as we go forward. Right. But to despise someone on grounds that are not laid out in Scripture and exclude them honestly is sin. Yes. Or someone that's a friend of mine or people that we would agree with on most things, all of us have to go search the Scripture. And I had a real problem understanding this for a long time. And when Gordon Fee's commentary came out in 1986 or 87, these things really started making sense. And now the work has been done. And we can, there are many other people who have searched the scriptures and the language has shown the same thing. The body that we don't discern isn't that I don't see this as just the bread turns into this or that, or who put it there, or whether it's uh, wine or grape juice or what kind of bread. The body of Christ is what we need to be concerned about, and that's the people he redeemed as members of his body. Amen. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others, as well as years worth of articles at the website, cicministry.org. While you're there, click on contact and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We want to encourage you all to stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramis. And Bob Dewey. We'll see you next week.